You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Salakrup, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. Um, This is our episode about Captain America Volume 9. It's called Dawn's Early Light, and it's about Captain America issues 247 to 266 plus the fifth annual um, running during the years of 1980 to 1982. An interesting period for Captain America. And with me today is my co-host, Jared. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Um, just before we get started, I just want to mention that uh, we uh, we can't run our podcast without the support of our listeners. And uh, those of you who are supporters of ours on Patreon, you get access to a bunch of interviews that I've conducted for the podcast, including two that I did for this episode here. I got to talk to um, editor Jim Salakrup and writer J.M. DiMatteis, and uh, we'll hear clips from these two throughout this episode. But if you want to hear the full interviews, um, I'd suggest uh, becoming one of our supporters and you'll get to hear a whole ton of interviews. I got a bunch up there just for you guys. And I'll slowly be releasing them as regular episodes interspersed between our our uh, regular Epic Collection episodes here. But, you know, if you want to hear them right now, then um, you can become one of our supporters. It's our way of saying thank you for supporting us. We couldn't do it without you. Jared, this is our first episode yes. together. Yes. And uh, I'm quite looking forward to uh, talking to you about Captain America. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, how did you get into comics and what, what are your favorites? Well, I've been reading comics uh, for many, many years. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, uh, the first few issues that I remember getting uh, was a Marvel uh, Tales uh, issue reprinting uh, uh, one of the Spider-Man the John Romita Spider-Man, you know, with Doc Ock, so that's Spider-Man has sort of become my favorite I think because of that, and Doc Ock is like my favorite Spider-Man villain then also with the the 90s and all the comic cartoons that were on (laughs) You know, like the X-Men, the Batman, the animated series and all that. Uh, I watched that quite a bit, and I, I got some action figures for the X-Men. And on the back, there was a uh, special deal that you could, I think, pay five bucks and get six issues subscription of either X-Men or X-Factor. And I thought I knew a lot about X-Men from the show, so I chose X-Factor, and I was kind of hooked from there. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. good deal, right? Right? Yeah, it, can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, you <laughs> sure can't. You can barely yeah. get one comic for six dollars. Well, here in Canada, at least. I, yeah, I know it's a bit cheaper in the states. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think a lot of people will will relate to your story getting into the series a lot from the cartoons. That's kind of how a lot of people through the '90s got hooked onto comics. Yeah. 
I came to the Epic Collections by way of the Essentials, you know, which were the black and white reprints, the phone book of comics, as right. <laughs> I thought of them. Um, uh, you know, I, I picked up all the Spider-Man ones and uh, and most of the X-Men ones, and I was looking, trying to look to see when the next one was coming out, and when I was looking for that, I found out that, oh, that program's dead, and now they're doing these epics. <laughs> oh, how disappointing. Right, but... You know, it it'll be fine to to get uh, to get them in color now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you collect all the lines, or are you selective? I I started out. I was uh, a completist, but that only lasted for the first year, and then I, I kind of as it expanded more and more, I'm becoming more and more selective. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. if I will be totally. Uh, I probably I've missed a bunch of volumes and I probably won't go back and get every single one, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, and now they've moved to two a month, and uh, it, it's just it's hard to keep up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and and isn't it uh, this month in March here uh, they're putting out four X Men related ones? <laughs> oh, I know one every week. It's just nuts. It's like, how does your wallet yeah. take it? But. That's uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's good though in terms of reprints they're they're just cranking them out it's just it's amazing you know I can't really complain about that <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Captain America here yes. so this volume here from 1980 to 1982 um, Jared what do you need to know before going into this volume, is there anything you need to know either about Marvel or about Captain America? I think it's a, a fairly good jumping-on point. The some of the the stories are like you know sequels to previous ones, but uh, I think they do a really good job of explaining what you need to know beforehand. You know, with the editors' boxes and all that. Um, you know, just the general what you learn about Captain America from the movies basically right it's fine i think i think there it's something worth noting that this is uh this is something that marvel was doing at the time was purposely creating one or two issue stories like they didn't have the sprawling epic stories yeah i actually have a clip of of jim salakrip talking about that and we'll hear that a little bit later on when we get to that issue um toward the end of the uh the the roger stern issues but um yeah, I think one of the things to to note is that Roger Stern was editing this book, um, Captain America, um, right before he w became the writer. And it's sort of Marvel's policy, which, if, sorry, except for a few exceptions, that if you were writing a book, you also weren't the editor. So the opportunity came to write for Captain America. And so Roger handed over the editing hat to Jim Salakrep, who was his assistant at the time. And so... Jim got to be full editor, and Roger moved on to writing. That's pretty interesting. I didn't realize he was... Well, I, I think I heard that uh, Roger Stern had been the the uh, editor, but that Jim Salakrup was his assistant <laughs> and then became his boss. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> it is interesting, and they didn't credit um, assistant editors back then. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't have known, like people who were just reading these wouldn't have known that Jim Salakrup was was um, beneath 
Roger Stern, and then all of a sudden he's kind of Roger Stern's boss. It is that is kind of awkward. That's, that's kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other thing you just need to know is um, Cap had a mind probe right before, uh, like right. several issues before this epic collection, and so he can't really remember what's going on. That kind of actually gets brought up a few times during the Roger Stern run here. Yeah. Um, the other thing to know is that Sharon Carter is dead. Right. Right. I, I was thinking about that. That's uh, it's not hugely important to the issues, but it is I th- it is brought up that <laughs> she's not around. Yeah. So. Um, and especially with the introduction of Bernie, that's uh, it's a, it's just one thing to know. It's like, well, what happened to Sharon? Yeah. And uh, and also maybe a, another good thing to know is that during World War II, uh, Cap was part of a, a team called the Invaders. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, with with the sub submariner and uh the original human torch and his sidekick and those issues actually didn't they weren't made during world war ii even though captain america was a running comic at the time all three of those characters were had comics during the world war ii but the invaders wasn't actually a thing back then it was something that's kind of been written into the history yeah so it uh i think it started in like the mid 70s 1975 yeah what are your thoughts about this epic collection just in general as a package the restoration the the uh, the design the everything the bonus material what did you like about it i i really liked how uh i think the i don't think i noticed any any issues with the reproduction at all um and i i did like how they reprinted some some of like the uh little essays or whatever that uh, Roger Stern wrote, I guess, in the letter pages, you know, just about his approach to the the character. Right. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Um, Yeah, I find those especially handy because Roger Stern doesn't really do a whole lot of interviews anymore. I don't, I wasn't able to get a hold of him or John Byrne. They just don't, they don't talk as much as I'd want them to. Um, Right. So yeah, those are really handy for just getting to know kind of how how he went about writing Captain America. Yeah, and and also the few uh, pages of what their their next issue was going to be. You know, uh, I think two fifty six. You know, at, at the end of the book, it it's, doesn't have any letters or words on it. It's just the just the artwork that right you know, about five pages that burn drew <laughs> that's kind of neat to see yeah that was really neat to see yeah, yeah i agree the uh, the restoration is great and the package overall is is really nice um yeah yeah well let's move on to okay. reader comments over on the marvel masterworks forum we have a few people who have left some really nice comments about this volume of captain america Faust33 says, uh, It's been a few years since I've read those stories. Uh, Stern's writing is great, and so is Burns' art. I was pretty amazed when I first saw those issues. Later on, I would eagerly collect all the back issues. I can't really think of any questions about the epic itself. I guess I would ask the people reviewing it, that would be you and me, Jared, how, (laughs) how they would rate it in comparison to other epics. 
epics have been kind of skirting around the collection gems, such as Simonson's Thor, Miller's Daredevil, Burns' Fantastic Four, so it was a bit surprising to see a really good run of Captain America get reprinted. What are your thoughts on that, Jared? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess it's true that the, the Burn and, and Stern run has been reprinted quite often. <laughs> um, but it's it's short. It's only, what, nine issues, I think? Um, so it, it's less than half of the book. And, uh, and most of the other half is uh, very uneven material, let's say. <laughs> right. The really interesting thing to me here is um, the episode that we're recording today is the final volume of the original six, the first six epic collections. So all of the episodes we've recorded are the, the first volumes of all of these runs that they released. Right. And they are all sort of these in-between transitional volumes. None of them, like like he said, none of them are the, the collection gems. They're skirting around it, literally coming after Thor's run, um, literally coming after John Byrne's Fantastic Four run. Yeah, and uh, the David Michelinie's uh, Iron Man run. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. And even the Cosmic Adventures was the transition, uh, transitional time after uh, Todd McFarlane was out. And um, the only one that had a real sense of uh, of continuity in terms of the creators was the, the Thor volume because uh, they got uh, DeFalco and Friends kind of right in there without doing too many fill-in issues right after Simonson's run. So, But this one... Yeah, it it has it's just made up basically aside from the the stern and burn stuff it's it's all fill-ins. So that is interesting. Uh but this one is a this one's a step up because of the quality of that first half. That quality is quite good. So we get some some great content here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But that's one of the points of the epic collection also is to collect the the uncollected stuff. So they do stick in things like the this uh, Roger Stern run because it's a selling point and it'll help boost the sales. But then we also get a slew of issues that we would never see reprinted otherwise. I, I kind of see it as they're getting rid of all of the worst stuff in all of the worst in all of the lines right off the bat. And as these lines progress, all of the material that gets reprinted is going to get better and better until like the final volumes that they reprint in all these epic collections are going to be like days of future past and born again <laughs> right. and all of this stuff right um right <laughs> the, the best of the best so yeah i think it's a yeah i think it's a great way to to do this yeah and you know also it's nice uh to have a lot of variety within the within this book and you know the other transitional books it's it i mean it's kind of nice to have you know like one chris claremont captain america story and and so forth but yeah so Beazle Bob actually makes a similar comment he says it struck me while listening to this that several of these podcasts are covering epics that follow acclaimed runs of their respective titles and he lists off the ones that we just mentioned since those three runs fall more or less into my personal golden age that could explain why I had similar mostly negative reactions to the issues that followed them in the case of Fantastic Four I agree that the stern issues had an aura of fill-in, which was particularly vexing to me, as I typically loved Roger Stern's work. He's referring to the All in the Family epic collection, which that was the previous episode that we recorded. Mm -hmm. um, 
later on he says i'm looking forward to dawn's early light since this contains the issues that first got me interested in captain america my first issue of cap was 199 which was also my last issue for over two years kirby particularly 70s kirby's was not my thing in those days i then picked up issue 230 because of the hulk crossover and hung around for a few issues uh, before dropping the title and then for some reason i picked up issue 253 which was nothing like the previous issues and those last three issues kept me going through a string of forgettable comics until Demonteus arrived he and zek really nailed it in that first story arc and it cemented my love for cap for many years so those are some interesting observations too i uh when we get to issue 253 um We'll talk about this a little bit more, but mm. um, just I agree that issue is one of the best ones in this collection. So, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That <laughs> that two part story might be might be the best one. <laughs> yeah. Over on Facebook, James uh, left us a comment on our Facebook page, and he says that this was the first epic I ever bought. Mike Zek equals greatest cap artist of all time, or greatest cap artist of all time. I guess James is a Mike Zek fan. So, um, right. yeah, everyone has their personal opinion. Mike Zek is fantastic. Don't get me wrong here. Um, but then there are other great artists here in this book, too, um, like John Burns. So it's like, like, like holy yeah. cow, we, get a, we have a lot of uh, good quality talent here. Uh, and then yeah. Josh also wrote on our Facebook page and said, I can see why the Stern Burn run is considered essential cap reading. Great stories, great characters. It's a damn shame they didn't get to do more than nine issues. Love that the the epic included Uncle Roger's notes from the letters pages. His approach to Cap clearly paid off in his writing. Some of the fill-ins after they left the book were pretty bland, especially the team-up with the Hulk. Ugh, he says, and I would agree with that one. It's probably the lowest point, and we'll get to that issue a little bit later. Right. <laughs> um, and the annual included here was pretty good. However, kind of neat seeing Cap battling street crime like Daredevil or Spider-Man would. He ends with the series gets its visual mojo back with uh, Mr. Mike Zek, one of my personal favorite artists, and his cap covers are very memorable. The two-parter team-up with Spidey and Fury was very well done. Definitely has me wanting to see all the volumes covering the rest of Zek's run get released sooner than later. All in all, a very solid collection of cap. Yeah, do you agree with that assessment? Yes, I I, I do agree that it uh, Mike Zek is really good, I think. And I, I am looking forward to the seeing the rest of his run. Yeah, it's surprisingly, I think, surprisingly a solid collection of Cap, considering all of the fill-in issues right. in the back half of this, <laughs> this, uh, this, this whole volume. Um, I want to start something new, something different for this episode. And I decided that I wanted to try a Twitter poll to try and uh, use Twitter a little bit more effectively. So I put up the question... In the Captain America epic collection, Dawn's Early Light, who is your favorite villain from the Stern Burn issues? And my three options were Machine Smith, Batrock, and Mr. Hyde, because they had a team up, and Baron Blood. So we had eight people voting, which is pretty good. Um, pretty good for a first one. We're, we can get those numbers up, I think. Um, 13% said Machine Smith. 25% said Batrock, Mr. Hyde. And the obvious favorite here, 62% with Baron Blood. Uh, what, what was your vote, 
Jared? I, I voted for Baron Blood. Yeah, so did I. So that's uh, definitely... Well, I mean, I didn't vote in this, but my vote would go to Baron Blood for sure. He definitely yeah. was the strongest of, out of all of these guys. So, yeah, thanks for everyone right. who voted. And um, we're going to... The next episode that we're going to release is the Silver Surfer. And uh, we'll have a Silver Surfer question uh, for our Twitter poll. So check back on Twitter to see uh, when that goes up. Well, let's move on to the issues. Issue number 247, the very first one called By Dawn's Early Light. This is the beginning of the Roger Stern, John Byrne run. And uh, do you want to introduce this issue? Just give us a little brief synopsis. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, it starts off with uh, Cap running down the bridge uh, and thinking about his recent mind probe and and, uh, his memory problems. Uh, And he's making his way to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters uh, to... I believe uh, confronts Nick Fury about what what's going on with that, um, and but Nick Fury is with Baron Strucker at at a prison, and Strucker escapes, and they go chase him down and find out that he is a robot. Ends on a cliffhanger with the uh, I guess the guy's name is the Machine Smith, uh, watching everything. <laughs> So a couple of things in this one is we get to uh, meet the cast, who is a very specific cast to this era. We don't, like, these characters aren't around in Cap anymore because Cap had a very particular life at this time, living in uh, Brooklyn Heights and uh, being a commercial artist. Right. Um, and so he's living in a, an apartment building. And uh, um, I had a couple, couple of buddies that he hung out with, like Joshua yeah. Cooper and Mike Farrell. Right, and and also you see uh, Bernie Rosenthal just in one panel, it looks like, and, you know, sort of out of focus in the background. But So I, I guess she's sort of introduced here, but not really. Yeah, the real introduction is the next issue. Right. You could tell that this one was really set up. There was a lot of talking in this issue, yeah. a lot of kind of going through Cap's head and really getting into his his thoughts and his character and it's really Roger Stern showing us that he like what his version of Cap is going to be. Couple things uh that I thought was kind of interesting. Um the the sequence where Cap is, runs in the alley and he runs through the holographic wall. Um there's graffiti on the on the building that he runs by and it's Sal B was here. Yeah. And I, I just wonder, like, Sal Buscema? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> that would make sense to me. Right. Um, and and also, uh, do you think, because this is in New York City, and there's lots, a lot of rats there, uh, how many rats go through the wall into S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters? <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just wandering, yeah. Well, I bet they have uh, a pretty good rat control system there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so you can move right on to issue number 248, which is called Dragon Man. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with this character, Dragon Man, because I, uh, 
I love it when he shows up because he looks cool and you get some pretty good right. battles. But then at the same time, it his he's always just it the issue's the same. He comes in big battle, he runs away, and because he's an android and doesn't think for himself, nothing else really happens in Dragon Man issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the same thing happens here. Well, except here he uh, he captures Captain America. Yeah, I guess the way that Machine Smith controls the um, controls Dragon Man is a little bit different as well. Just the way using that that floating orb to uh, to emit some frequencies that would steer Dragon Man in, in to a certain state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, they do play they play on the variations and such, but overall. Um, and John Byrne makes Dragon Man look really cool. He's he draws him really great. Yeah, I I think Dragon Man looks really <laughs> really neat. Uh, well, this is where uh, Steve is introduced to Bernie Rosenthal. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they kind of have a you know sort of obvious from from the start that he's uh, they're setting her up to be his love interest. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty obvious at the front, and she's actually. As soon as we're introduced to her, it's she's kind of a, a different type of character. Right. She's not your damsel in distress like a Jane Foster or, I don't know, a Gwen Stacy or such. And, right. N- but neither is she kind of the dominant sassy one like a Mary Jane. Um, she definitely has confidence, but it's this different kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe it's a... I'm sure that there's a lot of Mary Tyler Moore influence here in her yeah. because of because uh, um, of her TV show being on around this era. So I, I think you see a lot of that come out in Bernie. Um, and it just gives a kind of a, it gives she's she's a character of the, of her era for sure of the 80s with uh, women's rights and uh, and that kind of thing. I think it's a it's neat to see her character come out. Yeah. Let's go on to number 249. It's called Death, Where is Thy Sting? And this is kind of the conclusion to this first three-part story where we find out the secrets of the machine smith. Um, Yeah, Dragon Man has captured Cap and brought him back to the secret, to to the machine smith's base where Cap, you know, wakes up and starts trying to figure out what's going on and battles a whole bunch of different robots and androids Many of them resemble different other characters that we know, like Spider-Man and Thing. Magneto. <laughs> and Magneto, yes. This one yeah. big battle of him fighting robot after robot. So, And then we find out the big secret behind Machine Smith, that he used to be a villain called Mr. Fear, and then he, he died, and his robots transferred his mind into the computer. And I love the way they did these flashbacks. Yeah, with the very pixelated... Very uh, pixelated and black and white. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really cool. Just the way that they kind of revealed this, and uh, yeah. So it made for a great story because all of a sudden, the machine smith we, that he was fighting was a robot. Then a whole ton of other machine smiths come out, and he's they're all robots too. And if I, we find out later at the very end that his entire essence is just it exists in the computer, and that's who he is now. And the kicker for here and you'll find that there's a whole lot of different uh there's a whole lot of social commentary throughout this book um right machine smith <laughs> at the very end we find out that he no longer wants to be alive because he's just trapped in his computer 
So his whole plan was to lure Cap to his base so that Cap would destroy the machine that is him and he would effectively die. Uh, and Cap is like, you're using me to commit suicide. And right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't know if there was like, if there was a big event that happened recently around this time that that caused this kind of thing. But, you know, like police assisted suicide is, is definitely a thing that happens. Yeah. Um, so it was yeah. interesting to see Cap's um, reflections and uh, reactions to that, to that sort of thing too. And Cap seems upset about it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, obviously, because I, I think he he doesn't like to kill people. Well, and then he's so. like being taken advantage of, and right. like, am I really in charge of myself, or is he easily swayed? Because people can pull the strings like that, and you know, yeah, it's a it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can uh, move on to issue number two hundred and fifty. This one is called Cap for President, and this one has a there's a cool article that goes along in here that's found after. Or is it found before this issue? Okay, uh, it's I think right after the Baron Blood story, page one sixty nine. Oh yeah, there it is. Yep. So he tells the story of how uh, how they came up with the idea for this this one issue. So they were talking to um, Richard McKenzie, who was the writer before Roger Stern took over. Yeah. And Don Perlin, who was the artist, and. Um, Says, Don's, Don's come up with a dandy idea, drawled Mr. McKenzie in his winning Kentucky way. We want to run Cap, Captain America for president. It sounds interesting, I replied, as Roger Stern saying that. But won't it be um, a bit of a downer when he loses? And that's just it, McKenzie chortled in triumph. He doesn't lose, he wins. And we have the next four years worth of stories set in and around Washington, D.C., and then Roger's like, I, you can't do that. There's too much of a distortion of reality. I don't know who's going to win the election, but I know that it won't be Captain America. You're asking right. the readers <laughs> to suspend their uh, their disbelief beyond the usual bounds of comics, or the usual bounds of Marvel comics, anyway. And um, then they give it up, and then later on, when he gets to, uh, when Roger Stern gets to write the book, he takes the idea. Um and uh, right. and runs uh, it past Jim Salakrup, but with the twist that he doesn't he doesn't want to run for president. So and that's what we get in this issue here is that mm-hmm. uh, this one party they decide that that um, after there's a um, after Captain America saves them from some sort of uh, catastrophe, um, they decide that they want Captain America to to be their candidate for presidency. So they create this whole campaign without Cap knowing it, thinking that they'll do all the work, and once Cap finds out, he'll either kind of be forced to go along with it, or he'll be happy that they did the work for him, and, and he'll just go along with it. So they're they're thinking that he'll say yes, because, you know, he's all about America. Why wouldn't he want to be president? Right. <laughs> but then when he finds out that of what, what they did, he's uh, not enthusiastic at all. Yeah, yeah. And he, I guess he does spend some time debating with himself whether or not he wants to do it but but then you know of course in the end he turns it down yeah this uh came out in 1980 yep and that that was of course the election year for and it was carter versus reagan oh yeah yeah. i think yeah uh stern says that in that that little 
little bit. And the, the issue was released during the presidential conventions. Um, and it's kind of neat at the end where, where he's giving the speech and there's the big poster of Cap behind him. <laughs> it that very much reminded me of uh, Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, standard um, campaign speech kind of look with the big poster behind you and such. Right, right, yeah. yeah but, but, yeah, ripping off Citizen Kane for sure. Well, you know, if you're going to rip someone off, it better be the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. And this issue uh, made me think of a, uh, a quote from Douglas Adams that he wrote in the restaurant at the end of the universe. Um, and it's, uh, those people who must want to rule are those least suited to do it. Anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. And <laughs> I, I think that's sort of apropos <laughs> for this current uh, round of presidents right now. Uh, yes, yeah. a- absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, there are lots of guest stars in this issue, and we get a flashback um, of the of Avengers number four, where they rescue Cap from the ice. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting lines here is that Iron Man warns Captain America not to get wrapped up in politics. That's just kind of funny because sometimes he, Iron Man himself, gets a little too wrapped up in politics. Yeah, isn't that basically what led to the Civil War? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like all the Avengers of the time, probably. Yep, including the Beast. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of fun always to see the Beast as an Avenger because, you know, usually he's not. And he tends to be a lot goofier <laughs> in the Avengers than he ever is in, in X-Men. Yeah, he's kind of a downer in X-Men, always moping around. Right, But right. he's like a fun-loving guy when he's with the adventures that is kind of weird okay issue 251 is called mercenary and the madman and uh we get a quick origin story in this issue right off the bat this issue deals with um with the the team up of two um one of captain america's longtime foes and another guy who pops up every once in a while but i consider more of a a thor bad guy because he was always in the early pages of thor um, right. And that's the mad thinker. Oh, uh, you mean uh, Mr. Hyde. Or, sorry, yes, Mr. Hyde. And they have a plan to get a whole bunch of uh, gold from Fort Knox that uh, is being transferred by ship. So they're going to uh, to take the ship and, uh, and get all the gold. Well, it, it always gets a little bit more complicated with that. <laughs> you know, when villains team up that sort of their egos get in the way lots of times, but... I guess in this this one, well, I guess that's mostly in the next issue, though, where where their their team up kind of goes astray. But I, I I do like Batrock the Leaper. He's kind of a, I mean, he's he's so goofy looking, and he's very very French. I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, very to almost a stereotypical kind of level, which you know, it's probably not the most PC thing, but it, it is, it's kind of, it's a product of its time. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's not bad, but it's, 
I've read plenty of worse things in comics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on, that's on true. That front, so. Yeah, they, but, he's always kind of played up as this humorous character. And it, it really shows. And we can talk about kind of these two issues together, I think. I don't mind. Okay. Um, yeah. Because the ending of this, it just ends on a really humorous note. Something you would never see in comics today. It's like um, Batroc has double-crossed uh, Mr. Hyde and right. stolen all the gold and taken off with the gold. So Cap goes after him in, in a submarine and, and calls to the Coast Guard and they surround him and he just like he yeah. shrugs his shoulders and, and says, Oh well and uh yeah. and yeah. just gives Say up lovey. and it's it and that's the end. And it's just it's, it's such not a that's n- an ending you'd never see today. Writers just don't right. they don't go to that kind of funny level. Uh or th- if they did it it would be with like Howard the Duck or Squirrel Girl. But you won't you won't see that in Captain America. He's too serious these days. These two issues, in my opinion, were kind of the low point of the of these nine Roger Stern issues. It okay. felt like yeah. it was just a little bit low down, and, and especially issue 252 seemed like just a fill-in. First of all, it was just one big fight, basically, which you right. could extend for however long you need. But they uh, they cut it short at about 17 pages or so and stuck in a bonus feature at the end because um, they yeah. didn't even have enough story for for two full issues. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if if um if Jim Salakrup's story is true and they only should have had single issue stories, well this is one of those stories that should have been a single issue. But they yeah. <laughs> kind of stretched it out a little bit too long. Yeah. Um I I think part of that might be uh the fact that uh John Byrne, he was also doing X-Men at this time. Oh, yes. so he had deadlines to catch up on. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Like I uh I I looked up uh uh John Byrne um and the the first month of of his run on Cap uh uh July of 1980, he had penciled four issues that were released that month. Uh Holy. You know, yeah, one of X-Men, one of Fantastic Four, uh, one of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. And I think that one was also written by Roger Stern and and the, the Cap one. And I can't imagine an artist doing that today, having, you know, no four kidding. books on the stand at one time. That's just crazy. So, right, yeah. And, yeah. And through that, Byrne doesn't let his quality suffer. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, it's always. I mean, if problem we had is uh, having to to cut this one issue to seventeen pages or whatever. I mean, that's <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. So and and also, uh, his, so I think I think this this one issue came out at about the same time as Days of Future Past. <laughs> oh, really? On X Men? Yeah, yeah. Because he he actually he's ended his run on both Cap and uh, X-Men the same time. Like, the last issue of, of his run on this was the same month his last issue on X-Men came out. Oh, okay. So, but, the bonus pages we have here called The Life and Times of Captain America. Uh, and it just kind of gives us a very brief origin. So, this is kind of like the second or third time we've had an origin story here um, of Captain right. America in these, like, four four or five issues. Or I guess six right, issues yeah. now, but um, right. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. kind of redundant. And then we've got another one coming up. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, but some cool things here. We get to see the inside of Steve's apartment and um, little bios of his friends and neighbors who live in the apartment with him. And um, another page of his partner's. Uh, so yeah, I just I like those little pages. Mm-hmm. We don't get those in comics these days either. I don't know if I mentioned earlier that he, uh, you know he's Steve Rogers is making a living being a commercial artist. I, I think that's a really neat like occupation you never hardly ever see, <laughs> and it it's just neat that uh, that he needs a job <laughs> other than being in agent of shield or whatever right so. and it's neat to see the the work-life balance kind of happening here or the work superhero balance that is uh he struggles with that quite a bit yeah whereas you know peter parker has a job as a photographer but it doesn't have the same he has his struggles for sure but it doesn't have the same sort of struggles that uh that cap does here because you don't have the same sort of deadlines when you're a photographer right yeah it's yeah it's very it's it's different but and it's you know it's it, it is. It's a fun change of pace. There's one little joke here at the very last page, um, underneath the partners page in this bonus part, where uh, it shows all of the Avengers, but then John Byrne is holding up a card, and then it has a little post-it note paper clip to the side that says "Thanks, John" from Joe Rub- Rubenstein. That's a little joke because um, Joe Rubenstein inked every single one of the characters in all of the Handbook to the Marvel Universe issues. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the next issue, 253, which is called Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot? Now, this is the the Baron Blood issues that we, or the story that we mentioned earlier, the first part, the first of two. And it deals with Steve. He gets a he gets a request to go to England um, to to catch up with an old friend who he thinks is Jacqueline Fallsworth or Spitfire, who he knows from being in the um, Invaders. But um, it turns out that the message is actually sent by her father, uh, Lord Fallsworth, who was the old Union Jack back in the Invaders days in World War Two. But he has aged. He's an old man now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's convinced that a series of murders that have been happening in England are the work of his brother, Baron Blood, who is a vampire. Yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. Um, the issue, you know, ends with uh, Cap, you know, being bait for the vampire. and Yep, a good cliffhanger. Good cliffhanger, yeah. So the the point of this issue, I think, is to bring the characters from the invaders into the present day because the invaders ended in September 78 and this issue is January 81. So we have the, all of these characters who we know as young people in the invaders and now they're being brought forward to, uh, to the Marvel universe. So, so because that series ended, but they, the, I guess the creators or Marvel still wants them to be in use. Based on, uh, the strength of the story i picked up the invaders complete collections you know and that has the the original uh baron blood story and nice. yeah um and i i do like the uh the one panel on page uh 132 on the bottom that shows you know all the the invaders and then all the wacky villains that they fought right warrior man or warrior woman and scarlet scarab 
the the blue bullet and <laughs> that guy yeah <laughs> so we didn't uh i haven't really mentioned much about the art but it's just it's so great john byrne is is such a i mean we i guess we don't really need to say how great he is because everyone knows he is but <laughs> he is just a solid storyteller and it's really yeah. evident in this issue because this issue is mostly talking um there's a little bit there's sure. like two scenes or so that that are action but otherwise it's all dialogue and a lot of it there's a lot of dialogue but john byrne is able to keep things interesting throughout the whole thing with his um different camera angles and and the way he lays out his his uh, panels and such it's just uh uh he's a master he can do it has it been uh, the same inker for all these issues? It has, yeah. Joe Rubenstein yeah. has Joe, been the Joe inker Rubenstein. through all of these ones, yep. Okay. Yeah, they, I I think they They're a well good together. pair, <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe yeah. is a master for sure. He's so good. Right. Okay, let's keep on going with issue number 254. It's called Blood on the Moors, and it is the second half of the Baron Blood story in which Captain America gets hypnotized and almost turns into a vampire. But fortunately for us, um, uh, he he gets saved by um, the son of Union Jack. His name is Ken. Um, and uh, yeah, Baron Blood gets away and Cap doesn't become a vampire. So um, although that would have been a kind of an interesting story, what would Cap be like as a vampire? I, I do know that we will eventually see Cap as a werewolf. <laughs> yes, <So. laughs> that's true. That's in the Mark Grunewald run, right? Yes. Yeah, and I have no idea if that's any good or not. But <laughs> <laughs> so in this issue, we see a couple of things. One is um, is uh, the Union Jack Lord Falsworth putting on the Union Jack costume again, even though he's old and um, paraplegic. Yeah, yeah, and so that was a pretty clever. It was a clever ruse because they used that to uh, to to mask his identity when they were drawing out Baron Blood, saying that this guy was on his deathbed. Um, and then they did a little bait and switch and had um, a new Union Jack come in. So this was kind of like they wanted to create a Union Jack that had more staying power, I guess. Or they wanted, because the old guy couldn't be Union Jack anymore. But that's a cool character to still have at your disposal if down the road any creator wanted to use Union Jack. So this is kind of this new Union Jack's origin story. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this issue? I mean, it's uh, it's really good. Baron Blood is just... I mean, he's he's very different from basically every other vampire you see, <laughs> I think. I mean, just in his design and is, is really neat. There's the little bit of a mystery on, on who Baron Blood actually is, and it's the... turns out to be the, the doctor who uh, I think kind of looks like what john byrne looks like now <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's it's probably the best hero villain fight in this volume i think yeah they did so. a really good job um it's it's quite a battle and the for the most part the whole issue is and the best part and here's the big spoiler is that in order to totally take care of this vampire you need to separate the head from the rest of the body and so you can see right. that that ends up being what Cap does. And he really struggles with that. Like, it's actually a big deal that he has to take the head of this... Because it's still a kind of a humanoid person, even though it's a 
you know, an undead monster or whatever, um, he still has to take off the head of this creature, and it really bothers him. Yeah, um, yeah, and and just the the artwork for that sequence is is great, and just the it getting closer and closer to his face as he's he says, uh, "Oh no, no, oh no." Yeah, and the colors change; they get more dramatic. Right. Yeah. And the actual deed is done in shadow. In shadow. In yeah. So that's pretty cool. And um, and I especially like on the next page on one sixty 160, on one sixty seven, when after Cap has done the deed and he's just like overcome with this emotion of what he's just done and he's leaning against the door frame, his face is all in shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we don't see Cap's face at all after he's made the decision that he's going to take off the head. So he uh, he struggles, he struggles. You get the cl- close up, then the next frame is in a shadow. And then when he actually does the deed, it's off screen. The next panel is the back of his head. And then when he's dealing with it, you don't see his face at all. So it's like he is ashamed of what he's done. And it's portrayed here through the artwork. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it's something he 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 knew had to be done. Yep. Yep. Totally. One other thing. There's, I think, in this issue, a scene in a, in a bar earlier. Mm-hmm. The layout of that bar uh, looks very much like uh, it's page one fifty seven. Um, the The layout it it reminds me a lot of a uh, an old Christopher Lee Dracula movie. Oh, okay. And yeah, with the the woman waitress, you know, being bitten by the vampire and covering up the holes in her neck with with her collar. Uh, that's right out of uh, I think it's called Dracula has risen from the grave or something like that. Oh, really? (laughs) Well, that's cool. The next issue is 255, and this is the special 40th anniversary issue, 40 years since the original Captain America number one from Marvel's Golden Age. So it's Mm -hmm. a, and they've decided to do a uh, tribute issue by, uh, by just retelling his origin, but in more detail. And this kind of is like a foreshadow to what John Byrne would be doing with Superman in a few years down the road. That's true. <laughs> yep. We get a really cool cover by Frank Miller. And um, if you listen to my full interview with with uh, Jim Salakrup, he tells us that this is the first time that this original Captain America logo from the Golden Age comics is seen in a Marvel, a modern Marvel Captain America book. And it later becomes the the regular logo later on in the 80s. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very neat. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the one of the cool things about this one is that the, all of the artwork by John Byrne is scanned from his from his pencils, so it's not inked. Um, it's just it's uh, more rough, and the reason they did that was to try and give it more of a 1940s kind of feel, uh, with a rougher just rougher artwork. So they scanned it in from, and they just really darkened up the the pencil lines and added their colors. And then the last page, the very last page is on 192 of this collection, is brought back to present day, and it's that one page is inked by Joe, Joe Rubenstein to give it the feel of the rest of the, the Roger Stern and, and Byrne issues. So, yeah, it's just a, a neat effect. Yeah. One uh, thing, uh, Roger Stern is, is very concerned with continuity yes um 
And in uh, the original origin from the, the 40s, uh, Steve Rogers in, is injected with the serum. And then when they revamped it in the 60s, um, he drank it. So in this issue, they show they show both. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. just to see, like, they both actually happened. It's just... <laughs> Um, so in this one, he also, it's basically the story, the story from Captain America number one, but expanded to a full, a full big issue. Um, and he does things to like give a little bit of backstory about when Steve was a kid and his, uh, he even sn- sneaks in there that he has a love of art to, because he was a commercial artist in the comics at the time. Um, something he never talks about these days in the comics. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it read really nicely. It had a great uh, build-up, but they spent a whole lot of time uh, kind of after he had got his powers and he's tracking down Skull and stuff. It just goes on for so many pages, and the result means that they have a, a giant two-page spread that really rushes half of his origin story. Um, right, because they right. didn't... Like, if they had made this maybe um, a double-sized issue... They could have actually seen Bucky and Bucky finding out about Steve and um, the final showdown where they where Bucky dies on the airplane or where Cap has to sacrifice himself and maybe even frozen in water or something like that. But instead, they do this sort of montage in a two-page spread, which looks kind of cool, but I felt like it's like, well, we just rounded a room, guys, so we kind of put this in here like this. Yeah, like... Uh... I guess I, I know they weren't going to continue the origin in the next issue right. or anything, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it is, it is kind of kind of sudden that it's like it's uh, at the ve- very end of the you know bef- right before that two pra- page spread, he meets Bucky for the first time, right? Yeah, it doesn't even <laughs> yeah. lead it at, leave it at a um, at a good spot. Now I wonder because this is their final issue if they had intended it to go longer and it was just like, you know, all of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes caused them to leave, to walk off the book. And they, so they just rushed to finish this issue and they just tied it up like that. So I have no idea. I don't know. Um, But we do have a little bit of Jim Salakrup talking um, about the two of them leaving the book. So I'll I'll put in a clip here for you to hear. One of the things that sort of... uh... (laughs) <laughs> you know, caused some problems, unfortunately, was that, uh, you know, Jim Shooter uh, trying to uh, bring some sanity or, or at least uh, more uh, structural, you know, you know get the, the storytelling, you know, more in check and more solid and have more structured, you know, stories with beginnings, middle and end, you know, and give the readers... Uh, a sense of, you know, here's a, a complete story instead of everything being an endless, you know, continuity thing. He had sort of like advised all his editors, and keep in mind, I had just become a full editor. You know, I don't want his, what he was telling them was, let's not do any more continued stories for a while. Let's try to do great one part stories. You know, occasionally let's do a two-part story, but it better be a damn good two-part story. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to see a three-part story unless it's as good as the Galactus Trilogy. So, oh boy. 
<laughs> exactly. So, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't want to go there. You know, like it's all subjective, but I figure, you know, the safest thing to do and, you know, the thing that seemed to be, you know, make the most sense is just try to come up with solid, you know, one part stories. And unfortunately, I think this, this sort of hit at a time when, uh, Roger and John were, uh, you know, planning, uh, you know, some continued stories and, uh, uh, it, it led to a bit of, uh, a back and forth and, 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 you know, Roger has, you know, uh, uh, you know, an interpretation of it that, uh, you know, he's, he, I'm not saying I'm right. He's wrong. He, he may be right such a long time ago. I, I can't remember perfectly. Uh, I think, uh, he, he was upset. I think maybe a fill in. Uh, was was put in, and there was some kind of policy uh, at the time where um, uh, they want there was an incentive program where you know like company wide they wanted to maintain the same creative team issue after issue. And uh, when I read you know Roger say this, it's like I can't imagine uh, why there would have been a fill-in because uh, certainly he and John Byrne are. Uh, our top professionals, and I can't imagine them ever being late on anything, but um, who knows? I mean, that might be a reason that, that he was upset. Um, and also, it's like, uh, you know, I've talked to John uh, Byrne about it, and, you know, there's also an awkwardness where uh, perhaps, you know, at that time we were both younger guys, and the idea of, you know, uh, Roger working you know, for someone who was once his assistant, uh, maybe was uh, an awkward transition for both of us in that, you know, uh, suddenly having to, you know, listen to what his assistant is telling him may have been awkward for him, or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I was insecure and had to insist that I'm the editor now, and <laughs> who knows what it is looking back after all these years. But, but it, to my mind, I think the biggest problem was they they wanted to do a story that uh, wasn't a one-parter, and I was begging them to do that. And uh, uh, my my uh, what I was getting back from them was, uh, you know, either you let us do it this way, or you know, we're, we'll walk off the title. And uh, you know, and that that seemed a bit uh, extreme to me. And uh, so, you know, whether it was miscommunication and misunderstanding, who knows at this point. But, you know, it, it didn't seem like we were able to, to solve the problem. So, you know, they they quit, and I had to keep on going and, and find new people to work on Captain America. Let's move on to issue number 256, The Ghosts of Greymore Castle. Uh, and right before we even get into the issue, we have a really nice cover by Marie Severin. Um who, uh, yeah, is from the 60s, uh, did a lot of Doctor Strange and stuff in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Nice to see you're still at work at this point. Yeah. Um, and this is the first of the fill-in issues. And, um, you know, before we get into this issue, let's. I just want to play a little clip about Jim Salakrup talking about, uh, uh, yeah, just about this just group of fill-in issues. No, I mean, uh, on one hand, at that time also, there was uh, a policy of, of creating fill-in issues. Uh, so in case, you know, something like that happened, or if the 
freelancers fell behind or they got sick or, you know, or they abruptly left or, you know, any, anything could happen. Uh, so there was sort of a, a stockpile of, uh, you know, fill-in issues or maybe just fill-in plots or, or whatever. And um, Marvel's bookkeeping department uh, would get a little uh, antsy if uh, there was too much of a backlog, you know. So I remember when I first took over the Spider-Man titles, I, you know, I was coming in and I didn't necessarily know 100% what I needed to do, you know. But so on one hand, I was keeping, you know, teams in place and trying to keep them going. But there was also, you know, uh, when I spoke to uh, bookkeeping, they said we have like tons of uh, <laughs> villains. Can you can you please use some of them? And I thought, well, that could be a way for me to buy a little time while I figure out exactly what I want to do. So I think uh, 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 this was a wasn't quite as extreme with the Spider-Man titles, but on Captain America, there was some material that was pretty good that were, you know, one part stories and. Uh, uh, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, characters would evolve and change so much that if we didn't use them at that particular point, who's to say uh, when they'd be used? So it was an opportunity to, uh, you know, please bookkeeping. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and it fit that climate specifically. When I, as I mentioned, when Jim was looking for one part story, so hey, there's a whole backlog of this stuff. Why, why kill myself, you know, and start with a new team under immediate pressure, you know, to to get everything right in like one month or something? Why don't we, you know, find the team, you know, see if it's working, you know, you know, you know take the time to, to get things right, and then launch when we're we're confident. And that, that seemed to be uh, a lot of fun to do as well. Yeah, but it, it does kind of feel like um, with this issue, uh, it seems to pick up more or less where the, the last one, or not the last one, but the Baron Blood story ended, you know, with, uh, yeah. with him in... Uh, in England. In, well, in, in fact, the next right. few are still in England. So my guess is yep. that um, they have... Uh, like Jim has his backlog of stories, so he pulls them out and then he takes his editor pen and reworks some of either the dialogue or maybe he gets some of the, the panels or pages redrawn to fit into what's happening in Captain America. So we do have some instances where the, the issue is completely standalone except that we see Captain America's motorcycle, which he got in the previous issue, which can easily be added in you know, later once he figures out how he wants to tie the issues together to form some sort of continuity. Right. So I'm pretty right. certain that that kind of thing happened here too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, um, let's see th this issue, uh, written by Bill Mantlo and Gene Collins, the artist. Yeah. It, it seems like during this time, Bill Mantlo was like the, the king of the fill-ins. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it seems like he just, wrote a lot <laughs> it could be or he uh yeah if he didn't want have his own series but he still wanted to get a source of income then he does all of these inventory stories right and, and so then yeah then they whatever editor has all of these different stories with different characters to choose from so i can see that bill mantlo did a good job with this one yeah it's a sequel from 
an old Captain America uh, story from Tales of Suspense, number 69 to 71. In that issue, he's kind of telling a tale of when he was in World War II. And Captain America and Bucky are in England. And they go to this particular castle, Greymore Castle, and uh, get caught up in this plot by, what's the name? Cedric Rawlings, who uh, Mm -hmm. has this uh, formula that shrinks people. And uh, he shrinks Captain America and Bucky. So this is uh, this is the sequel. He returns here since he's in the area, kind of. He he visits this old right. castle and uh, he goes in. And um, first of all, we get a little flashback that tells pretty much the story of what happened in those issues. Um, but he goes in and he finds that Cedric Rawlings is still there, but he's old now because. Um, right, it's been forty years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he's still in the castle and believes that the castle that the castle is haunted, and so Cap tries to help him figure out that it's not actually haunted, but it is. Um, there is this guy, the demon druid, who is looking for something in the castle and trying to scare Cedric out of there so he can look around. It, it's kind of kind of weird, you know. At first, it's the the guy Rawlings in the uh, suit of armor, but when he takes the helmet off, he sure doesn't look like he can. He'd be like well enough to to walk in the in the suit, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Probably not. So yeah. there are three inkers in this for this one issue, and they list them all at the front: Simmons, Milgram, and and Giacoa. And mm-hmm. I just wanted, just for posterity, just say that Simmons does pages 1 to 11 plus 28 to 30. Milgram does pages 12 to 21 and Giacoa does 22 to 27. And they all have a pretty distinct style and, and make Gene Colan's work look um, different in each of their styles. But um, I actually really like this issue. As far as villains go, this is uh, this was great. I, I like the story. Um, it had some great mm-hmm. action. Um, a nice, just nice character building moments with uh with cedric so yeah it was it was fun yeah definitely not a not a bad issue um at the end of this issue they find what the demon druid was looking for and it's a book it's a book full of um arcane secrets alchemy secrets uh that the ancient druids put in there and hid in a secret little cubby in the wall and cap says that he's going to go give it to wanda the scarlet witch to see if she can make heads or tails out of it. Yeah. And then it leaves it at that. It says perhaps, but that is a tale for another time and another place. Do you, do you know if that book or or anything with this ever came came of it? <laughs> yep. The uh the story of this book is told in the Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries in 1982, which was also written by oh. Bill Mantlo. Okay. That that makes sense. Yep. That that he would follow up on it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's um okay. this is 1981, so it just happens in the the next year. Okay. Yeah. Well, unless you have anything else, we can move on to issue 257. Cap versus the Hulk. Yeah, this um, one's called Deadly Anniversary. Yeah. I I think this is probably the worst issue in the whole book. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. It's it's the epitome of a fill-in story. It's basically just a it's just a fight between well it's not even between him and the hulk it's just a there's nothing to it it's just a straightforward brawl um, right page after page 
And it's not even a full yeah. issue. They have to supplement the uh, the remaining pages with material from <laughs> from not brand X issue eleven and twelve. So they just some reprint stuff. Yeah. So this one's written by Mike W. Barr and penciled by Lee Elias. And both of those guys, I'm not very familiar with their work at all. Mm-hmm. Now there is also um, just again for posterity. There's the inker here is M Hands. Which stands for many hands. It's three inkers <laughs> again. It's actually Joe Rubenstein, Frank Giacoa, and Mike Esposito doing the inks on that. But I don't know why they weren't credited, all three of them, like they were in the last issue. Unless this issue is just so bad they didn't want their names attached to it. <laughs> I don't know. I have <laughs> yeah, no maybe. idea. Yeah. You know, um, um, yeah, but it, it's just... And I, I just feel that the, you know, the art isn't... Yeah, it's fairly Great. pedestrian. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. There, there was some place some, where it it seemed like chunks of the story were like skipped. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it's like, wait, that's not where I, it seemed things were a page ago. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of just cobbled together. It's uh, right. Definitely a fill in. One one thing that just just now occurred to me about about this issue, um, like I think in like the late seventies, you know, few years before this, uh, it seems like comics were you know a few pages shorter. Um, than, yep, than they were. That's yeah. right. Yeah, they Marvel had decreased their page count in the seventies, but it's back to normal yeah. by this point. Right. So I'm I'm just wondering if this uh, if this fill-in goes back to that uh, time and it was just had been sitting in the drawer for five years or whatever because yep that would actually yep that's the right page mount for these these extra pages that are at the end yeah you're probably right yeah good observation yeah um yeah, anything. I don't think we need to really dwell more on the worst issue in the book. <laughs> no, no, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, 258 is called Blockbuster, and this is the first of the Mike Zek issues here. With a plot by Chris Claremont, and half of the script is by him, and the the other half of the script is by David Michelinie. The issue starts out with... Uh, Steve on a date with uh, uh, Bernie Rosenthal, um, and it seems like the date is going going well. But meanwhile, uh, you see an arsonist pouring gasoline in an apartment building and throwing a match, and you know, of course, it catches on fire. Uh, so, Cap. Uh, you know, changes into his superhero duds, and he goes in to help rescue the the people inside the building. Afterwards, a guy... He just goes by the name Harry. Harry, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he hired this guy to, to torch the building because he wants to, you know, make money from building new buildings, uh... The, the biggest thing in this issue is that um, while Captain America is trying to save people, 
he gets kind of knocked out by falling debris and a firefighter has to save him and in the process that firefighter doesn't make it out of the building and ends up dying right and so a lot of this issue is um is steve plus um his friend mike who is a firefighter who lives in his apartment building uh dealing with the grief of a firefighter losing his life on the line of duty right yeah and and then then of course it ends with a, a fight with the the arsonist now in a uh, goofy costume, <laughs> and his name is Blockbuster because he busts up a block of buildings. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. This is the Blockbuster's first appearance, and I don't know if he comes back. I have no idea. I uh, yeah, I don't know either. But and eventually they um he catches he sets another building on fire and there's a the big showdown and stuff and. Um, right. and, and then Cap brings him out of the building and pulls a gun on Cap and then Mike who's a firefighter on the scene uh, hoses him down and he's about to kind of you know tear him a new one because of what he did to his buddy but um, the police are like no you gotta let us handle it our way mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's a it's a it's just a neat story about the justice system in that sense and um, how you know, he Mike really wanted to take care of the situation himself, but he had to let things go through proper proper channels. And even then, a police detective at the end says that uh, we're figuring that this guy will actually walk because we'll make a deal with him to give up the name of his employer to bust down all of these arsons that are happening around the city. They'll like Blockbuster will walk free even though he's a murderer, but they've taken care of a bigger problem. And it just it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting issue. It's it's a pretty good one. I I liked. Um, I felt like it had some really good emotion to it. Uh, other than the the goofy uh, supervillain, which uh, that guy didn't need to have a suit. He could have just been a guy with a flamethrower or something like that. And, right. <laughs> and it would have been just fine, but, you know, this is a comic, especially a comic in the 80s, so they, I think they kind of had to throw that in there. It almost seems like, because I think it's just, what, five five or six pages where he appears in, in the suit, um, and then the rest of the time it's just the guy, like, because uh, where Cap uh, gets him out of the suit to drag him out of the, the burning building. Right. I, I don't know. That sort of almost makes me wonder, like maybe it, it was originally drawn, uh, you know, with just just the the guy, um, and then that could be, yeah. But and then they I added, <laughs> or maybe again, like you were saying before. Let me see one, two, three, four. Like I wonder if those pages were added because this is another seventeen-page issue. Ah, and they had yeah. to add a five-page fight scene to bump it up to the the number of pages they needed for their their higher page count. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that could be true. <laughs> could be. Yeah, because um, I, I even think the the art sort of even looks different <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, in, it, in those pages, it so. does. It does yeah. look like it has a different inker as well. Which I should yeah. um, I'll mention. I, I've been mentioning all the inkers lately. Um, right. Yeah, I noticed that there's not one credited for this there, issue. There isn't, so 
I uh, yeah, I don't know what the issue is there. So that's yeah, that's an interesting observation, and it might explain actually some of these other issues as well. So we'll we'll keep our eye on that as we as we go through here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. let's keep going. Let's move on to number 259. This issue is called Rite of Passage, and we get a Spider-Man villain in here. Yeah, Doc Ock. So the the issue starts off with Steve Cap waking up and deciding to, to head to Avengers Mansion just to see what's going on. And he has a, a flashback to a man he met in World War II, another soldier, who uh, who sent him uh, a letter. The guy's name is Ray Colson. I wonder if he's related to Agent Colson. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, he goes to to meet this guy after you know forty, 40 years. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he tells him that his son has become involved with some some bad people. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, it's just a, a gang. Uh, the Huns, there it is. The Huns, yeah, that's right. You know, as as Cap leaves the, the shop, uh, there's a a figure in shadow watching him. Anyway, so he, he tracks down the Huns, you know, to confront confront them to, to get John, who's the, the son, <laughs> to get him to go home. It's like, the, the gang says, yeah, we, we don't have to talk to you at all. Uh unless you prove yourself prove yourself worthy <laughs> of talking to us <laughs> this is just so funny because i can't even imagine that captain america would even humor them in this way but he does <laughs> yeah but then the ridiculous thing is that they're going to basically um they've tied his arms together and uh, and attached the ropes to motorcycles that are going in different directions it's basically like drawing and quartering um, right yeah. And they're okay with this. Plus, like, the motorcycles are inside. So <laughs> they're, they're just going like, to crash into the walls if they if they do manage to rip his arms out, which they think that they might. <laughs> they're, right. they're, they're rooting for that. And it's just a, such a silly predicament. But uh, right. it's there. And then Dr. Octopus smashes through the walls to make this predicament even sillier. <laughs> right. Just, just to, steal, to steal the shield. And he really has no purpose at all to the story, at all. He is just, um, and you know, let me think, one, two, three, four, five, and he's gone. That might be, the, those might be the extra issues. Um, and they just maybe added the shadows as Cap's leaping through the building, building to building in the first couple of pages. Right. Yeah, yeah, because that that could be easily easily added later. But then we don't see Octopus until this moment, and it's about five pages, and then he's gone, and he has no significance to this issue at all, except that they wanted to put him on the cover to try and to try and sell the issue. So I think you hit on something with these uh, the seventeen page stories here. Yeah. Um, Now this is um, we have the consistency of Mike Zek drawing all of these ones. Right. So I'm pretty sure that they had the, and this is done Marvel style, so they probably had the plot. This is a Jim Shooter plot, this issue. And Jim Shooter would have plotted out 17 pages, and it was sitting in the big filing cabinets of in- inventory stories. So Jim takes it out, gives it to Mike Zek to pencil, 
and then hands it over to David Michelinie to script. But then I'm guessing that Jim Jim Salakra probably added those extra pages. Right. Just saying, like, yeah, what yeah. this issue really needs is a fight with Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah, is is a supervillain so. because it doesn't have a supervillain otherwise. Like, it's right. a, it's a really great story with a really uh, really, really good message and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have um, it didn't have a villain. So isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's well, yeah. This is pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, and then at the very end of this issue, um, the the boy who he saves or he convinces to go back home gives Cap his motorcycle. This is a, a pretty important moment here because his motorcycle is something that he has um, for quite a while in the comics. Yeah. So he, he didn't have one before this at all. I don't, th- well, I'm, I don't think he did, but this is the one that you see, like it's very distinct with its, um, with the star on the side and everything like that. And the saddlebags, um, right. like you see that pop up later on in his series here and there. I really think it's really funny too. Um, so this boy, John, John Colson is, uh, he's hanging around with these no good guys and he's got like a bandana on his head and he's not wearing a shirt and he's hanging out with these guys that wear Nazi symbols. Yeah. And then when he goes back home, he's wearing an America number one shirt. Number one, right. <laughs> it's like, well, he's completely changed <laughs> overnight. Yeah. 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 Let's do issue number 260 now. It's called Prison Reform. And in this one, Cap is sent to jail. And uh, we don't know exactly what's going on, but he's thrown into a cell. And it's kind of a cool way to start an issue. It's like, let's throw us into the middle of a story here. And we get to discover it kind of as through a little series of flashbacks that he is um, in there on purpose. Because um, the warden wants to see if he can find a way to escape his unescapable prison. Um, he's also there because he thinks that there's a boy that... Uh, that shouldn't right. be tr- shouldn't be there. He's he's actually a good kid, in a bad situation, and with a little bit of uh, um, just re re education, he'll he'll be back. He'll be a you know an actual upstanding citizen. So other than that, I mean, it's not it's not it doesn't have a huge uh, story here. Basically, the la- the the back half of the issue is just him trying to escape the prison. Um, and he, which he does, but in a way that only Captain America can. So it proves that someone can get out, but no normal um, person, no normal criminal who is in this jail is going to be able to escape. And we do see two of the characters here, um, Thumper and Deacon, mm-hmm. uh, two of the, the, the criminals who are in here are actually characters from Tales of Suspense 62. Cap has a run in with them and throws them in jail in that issue. So that's uh, two issues here where we've uh, brought characters back from the Tales of Suspense days. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny how, um, you know, all the other criminals start following him. And then he makes this, you know, uh, crazy leap, <laughs> grabbing the the flagpole or the, the cord for the flagpole. And, yeah. and then they're like, well, uh, back to ourselves, I guess, because... I can't do that. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what did you think about this 
issue. It was just a kind of a ho hum issue. I didn't really. It was it was a little bit interesting in the beginning, but it just didn't really have a huge purpose. They it tried to have a nice um, sort of moral at the end with the with the boy, um, but not as effective as some of the other issues that we've had previous to this. Right, and and also having having two issues in a row where there's a a, a young young boy up to no good yeah <laughs> who's set on the right path that, that's kind of a little repetitive exactly yeah. yeah yeah but i i have to say that the cover to this issue is maybe one of my favorites <laughs> yeah an al will williamson yeah. cover well let's keep yeah. on plowing along here we um we can talk about issue number 261 celluloid mm-hmm. heroes and this is the first of a three-part story um, by J.M. DeMatteis and I've actually yeah. got a clip of him talking about the origin of this series well here's here's an interesting story I, mean, I hope it's an interesting story otherwise it'll be a very boring story <laughs> <laughs> how I started on the book was I was just I had just gotten my foot in the door at Marvel and Marvel used to do these big treasury editions, these oversized, you know, giant treasury editions. Yeah. And this is the, you know, this must be 1979 or something like that. And they had done uh, some truly, truly uh, awful Captain America TV. They had done one one Captain America TV movie. It was really not very good. And there was another one coming up. And they wanted a comic book that would tie in somehow to the Captain America TV series. And Shooter handed me this assignment, Jim Shooter. And so I went off and I created this Cap story where somehow he ends up in Los Angeles and involved with the actor that plays Captain America, and it leads to this whole uh, strange plot by the Red Skull and on and on and on. And then someone somewhere, you know, woke up one morning and went, you know, we don't really want to tie into that movie, do we? <laughs> that's, that's in fact what we want to do, I think. Probably what they thought is we want to ignore those movies completely. So this, I had written, uh, I guess, the plots for this story, and uh, some, some time went by, and then someone said, well, why don't we use the, that story you were going to do for the Treasury Edition? It's a big, long story. We can use it as a, you know, three fill-ins for Captain America. We just need to take out the reference to, um, to, the, to the movie and, and use, create something else to fit in that space. So that's what I did, and that ended up being my first three issues of Captain America which wasn't my assignment. You are now the writer of Captain America. We just began with, okay, let's use this story that you wrote and we'll use it in Captain America. And doing those three issues is what eventually led to me getting the assignment. Yeah, and that, that's kind of interesting that, you know, this wasn't supposed to be like the start of his run. It was just going to be another fill-in. Yeah, and yeah. that's why we have a the David Anthony Kraft story after this as well. Um, right. They didn't settle in to, to actually hire him until after they did this, I guess, or something. So he got the job. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's why we have this one here. And it's kind of cool. It's um, And so when he was saying in the clip that this was supposed to tie in with the Captain America 2 movie from the 80s, you can still see the, the hints of that because there still is a Captain America movie being made in this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Captain America himself doesn't really want to have anything to do with it until he sees that there is a new hero in California going by the name of Nomad, which is confusing to him since he was Nomad a few years ago. So who is right. this mystery Nomad? He, he quickly finds out that Nomad is um, 
just a kind of a bumbler and um, not really great at being a hero. Little does Captain America know that the reason why he's kind of a bumbler is because he's trying to make Captain America look bad. He's trying to set him up for failure to discredit him uh, at the request of some shady hooded, hooded character who has in control of him the Ameridroid, <laughs> a giant android version of Captain America. <laughs> so, yeah. so funny. And and also, I I think it's it's fairly obvious who this hooded figure is, just with the his uh, cigarette holder. Yeah, with, you know the cigarette. So, you know, if you've seen someone with that before, right. The real meat of the story is coming up in the next issue and the issue after that. Is there anything more in this first part that you want to say? Uh, no, not not really, I don't think. Okay. Well, part two of this story is called Death of a Legend. Captain America has uh, figured out that uh, Nomad is, is... There's something wrong, something up with him, um, that he's kind of orchestrating some things, and, and there's a, a larger story going on. Um, and it all comes to head at a big Captain America parade... I guess to help promote the movie that's coming out. Right, um, which they haven't shot yet. Which they haven't shot yet, yeah. It's a very early publicity. Um, and uh, and in a flying car overhead, the Ameridroid starts just firing randomly into the crowd, and um, Nomad's there, and he ends up, actually, the Ameridroid ends up murdering Nomad, um, which is kind of a surprise. But in the process... Uh, kidnaps Captain America and takes him back to his his stronghold where it's revealed that the man behind the mask is the Red Skull. Look at that. So it's yeah. uh, it's again it, it's just kind of each issue individually here is not uh, anything too spectacular but they work really well as a three part story. Yeah, it's if you read it all all at once it yeah i think it's uh so you can tell that it was meant to be together right one thing i can note here is that the inker is credited as quick draw studios mm-hmm. and that's uh the person who's kind of been doing or the studio that's been behind the inking of the previous couple of issues plus um, a bunch of the ones down the road here and that's basically one guy named frank mclaughlin and a couple of other people that just kind of fill in as needed. Um, if he, I guess if he can't finish up the whole thing. So you can see, especially in this issue, um, a couple of very distinct inking styles. And I don't know who they are. But like if you look at page 337, right, the, the yeah. way the, the shading, um, it, it's just a very kind of sketchy shading rather than the solid black lines that you would see later on in the issue, like page... 341 and onward so there are definitely a couple of different inkers at play but i don't know which ones they are and then also this is another in the long line of uh cap's old war buddies who show up in this in this book the the producer of the yeah of the movie yeah and that's there are a lot of those stories in this book you're right there's like four I think maybe four right. or five, and there's another one coming up in the annual. And I guess we didn't even mention how the the warden of the prison right. was also. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But anyways. Well, and we're still in the 80s when it was actually a feasible storyline to have someone from World War II come and call up Cap. Nowadays, you can't do that because all of these war veterans 
are you know they're they're yeah. gone they're dead or they're super super or they're old 90 yeah um because we're, we are now so far removed from world war ii but back in the 80s it being 40 years ago is not uh it's not unreasonable for it to have these guys pop up if they right. were if they were 20 then they're 60 now so that's uh yeah it's interesting to see that in these old stories um yeah. what else do you have to say about this one should we move on to the next well the where where red skull takes off the the hood the lips are very bright red and but the rest of it is black yeah so it, it i don't know <laughs> it does look like a stereotype of a like a 1930s blackface yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's just because the shadow the head is in shadow but red skull ha- actually does have red lips <laughs> yeah it does look kind of odd you're right Okay, issue so, number yeah. 263, the last of this trilogy. Uh, it's called The Last Movie, and that's a reference to his master plan, which is to create a movie that everyone's going to want to see on TV, which I guess the film is laced with a chemical. This doesn't make sense to me. A, a hypnochemical that, when broadcast, will hypnotize everybody. And I don't understand how a chemical is going to be effective over the airwaves in people's homes, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it would make more sense if it was, you know, some kind of subliminal flashing or or whatever. That would would make more sense. (laughs) But no, the film is treated with a chemical that will hypnotize people when they watch it. So, um, (laughs) So this issue actually has a lot of um, plot development and a lot of exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost an entire issue where Red Skull, bit by bit, is explaining his plan, which is actually fairly intricate. And, and also, uh, you know, Red Skull will explain a little bit of the plan. Uh, like, Cap will get a hold of him and and punch him or whatever and find out he's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and then a bunch of guys come out of the woodwork and, and start trying to clobber him. And this is, it's actually, this is pretty classic. It's a classic supervillain trap where a cat yeah. just kind of goes through another door and there's another trap for him. And like, there's a train that he has to board to take him to another part of the, of the, the, the maze. And it's, uh, it, it just has this really classic, almost like kind of a golden age Superman from the fifties kind of feel to it in that sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say about, about this. Um, like I said, it really works the best reading all three issues together. The issues, because we're talking about them separately, there's not a whole lot to them, but as a whole, they're, they're actually great. It's a really good, good story. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and also, um, uh, I guess we didn't mention how uh, at the end of the previous issue convinces, or maybe it's the beginning of this yeah, it's issue. the beginning of this issue. Yeah, yeah, where he he talks to uh, the Ameri- uh, Ameritroid. Yeah, such an awkward <laughs> and, name. Yeah, and convinces him to to switch sides or or go against the Red Skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then that's that's how at the end. Um, you know the Ameridroid comes back and busts into Red Skull's control room and 
it appears to blow up and uh, Red Skull appears to die, but you know he'll be back. <laughs> of course, like yeah. Even though the caption says, and and then the scream is lost forever? Question mark. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. it's actually it's interesting because um, there's a very significant Red Skull story that Demonteus does later on in his run at the very end of his run. So that's not in this volume. It'll be, I think, probably two volumes from now in volume 11. Right. It, yeah, it will be. Yeah. But uh, when that one comes up, it's it's a pretty formative Red Skull story. So hopefully we'll get mm-hmm. to that one soon. Yeah, I, I hope so. And and I, it, it is uh, it's pretty interesting that uh, Demetrius, like, began and ended his run on Cap with Red Skull. Right. So yeah, a nice yeah. bookend. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on to n- number issue number two hundred and sixty-four. Uh, another mm-hmm. Diamateus uh, story here, and it's called "The American Dreamers." This is an um, just a nice one-shot issue. It's definitely a fill-in because it has no bearing to anything that's going on in Captain America. There are these four people. Uh, various ages, genders, and uh, and ethnicities who are they all have telepathic powers, and they've all been kind of wired into this machine. And the machine has the ability to use their telepathy to rewrite reality. Um, and so, this whole issue is just a series of different realities where you know Captain America is is viewed in different ways, and America America is viewed in different ways. One of them has Sam Wilson uh, running for Congress, and the other, another one has him just where kind of racism toward black people is is quite rampant. Um, yeah. Another one, Cap- Captain America is a kid, or Steve Rogers is a kid, and in kind of the the most interesting one, Nazis won World War Two. And so they rule America, which is a a story that's played out in a bunch of different kind of science fiction stories. But they see that um, they've rounded up all of the black people, all of the Jews, and all of the mutants. And so we see the X-Men in their original garb, um, the original X-Men. Right. Yeah. Not the the current X-Men of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a nice way to sell the cover as well by putting them on there in their original outfits because people are like, what? That's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so they uncover the, it's this guy named Morgan McNeil. He wants to rewrite America, um, to be in America, like America, the best that it can be. Yeah. Well, uh, to, to reclaim the America of his youth. So of his youth. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause he, I mean, he basically wants to make America great again. Yeah. And here's the interesting part. And it's so, it is interesting cause it's, it's, it's topical today as well that yeah. um, in the end they figure out that that's it's an impossibility because everybody's version of America is different, right? Um, and including like the the woman who or the guy who's a racist and the woman right. who is a, of uh, who's German and wants Germany to to rule America is like that's everybody has a different opinion on how to make America great. And so Cap gives his speech at the end where, uh, what does it say? I pray that the next time this country is offered a seeming utopia of moral perfection, we'll be there 
to remind people of the pain and the price. It's like, no, we can't discount our history. We have to learn from that and, and move forward. I think in many ways, uh, this might actually be my favorite issue of the whole book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just just in the way, uh, you know, the four different views on on what America is or, you know, from four different perspectives and, and really at, at the end saying that it's sort of all of these things yeah. in a way, but but also, you know, good and bad. Yeah, it yeah, it definitely is a standout issue. Yeah, it's a good one, and it's neat because it's yeah. just a it's just a fill in, but fill in doesn't, doesn't mean bad. Mean <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> in some cases, it does, like the Hulk story, but not in this one. Yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, just really interesting how it, you know, it how it switches perspective as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the going through the story that. And, you know, you see that it's not what's actually been going on in the, the continuity. But then there's the the shot of whoever, one of the people in the the telepathic people in the machine. And then it switches to a different reality. I, I just think that's kind of kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's it's so. well done. It shows off a little bit of Demetrius's weird side because he can get pretty weird in his storytelling. And he likes likes to do that kind of stuff. Yep. So yep. this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, next up is the annual Captain America annual number five, which we have another Frank Miller cover. Um, just a pretty standard thing. But inside we have some great Gene Colan art again with Dave Simmons on inks um, mm-hmm. with a story by uh, David Michelini. Mm-hmm. This was an interesting issue too. I think I actually really liked this story. It might be my favorite of the of the book and usually i'm not a huge fan of the annual stories because i usually think they kind of don't get the best people for the for the yeah yeah they're inconsequential and they they sometimes get fill-in people to do these these issues but they got some top talent and it's actually a really great story cap Mm -hmm. is uh kind of he gets mixed up in a a, like a a something with the coast guard helps helps the coast guard out with a problem with with the constrictor and then finds out that these r- these rival gangs, Gamble and Farini, are uh, they're basically killing each other. There's a bunch of murders. The, the gangs are at war, and so Cap tries to he kind of goes to uh, to help people out at the request of the of the police chief, um, because one of the the mob bosses has kind of come to him for for protection. So Cap says he'll help try and find out what's going on here. And the whole thing is a, a trap set by this guy named Samson Scythe. He's right. a yeah a guy from Cap's War, uh, the War Days, who um, has pretty bad PTSD to the point where it's really it's bound him to a wheelchair. It's made him incredibly weak. He gets all of his meals through a feeding tube, and he has no real will to live until he's one day. Um, witnesses um, a guy being shot and it gives him this thrill I guess a flashback to the war days and so he uses his massive wealth to place a series of cameras um, and spies all over the city in order to and then then creates hires these people to create these scenarios where he gets to see um, people being killed basically um, because it fascinates him and in the end, 
um, oh, and then Captain, he lures Captain America to his house, and here's another classic um, death trap house where each room has a death trap. It's just right, wonderful yeah. comic book. Great, yeah, great I, comic book stuff. <laughs> I, I love the, the robot dogs. Yes, the robot dogs. They're there for no reason and are no problem at all. <laughs> um, and then in the end, yeah. Samson Scythe's partner has a flamethrower, tries to kill Cap, but ends up sending setting the whole room on fire, and the guy in the wheelchair, Samson, is uh, he's basically burned to death, but he sees himself being burned to death on his own compu- uh, computer monitor, and like that's the ultimate thrill, and he dies with that ultimate thrill. So it's like, wow, <laughs> holy cow! It's a pretty dark that, story, but yeah, that is that is very dark. <laughs> well, it, and then it's it's almost like it it ends very suddenly. <laughs> yeah. Too after that, it's true. Um, like they ran out of pages. <laughs> Right, yeah, the the detectives like maybe you could help out by explaining things to 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 gamble the the mob boss, and then Cap's like, nope, the book's over. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? We that I appreciate that we don't need a long debrief because we we know what happened. So right, that that's that, true. <laughs> it, they just they just ended it. Um, it's all there's there's no filler there. So yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No, it it it, it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. It, it's just, I don't know. I, it seems like if if this was the same story was made now, it would be a little different. But oh, for sure, I definitely. Mean, yeah. <laughs> well, we're running long on time, so let's talk about the next two issues together, since it's a two-part story. Um, this one's by David Anthony Kraft. It's issues 265 and 266 called Thunderhead and Flight from Thunderhead. Well, it starts off, you know, Cap uh, coming, like walking home from a party, he says. And then he's accosted by a gang of thugs as as what happens. Oh, Meanwhile, in New York City. In New York City, right. <laughs> But Peter Parker is actually right there. He's like, I, I should help this guy because he looks like he's in trouble. But Cap isn't in trouble. No. Nope. <laughs> but Spider-Man gets the spider sense and it's like, okay, there's something's going to happen. So I should follow him just to make sure everything's fine. So he, he follows him to a payphone where uh, Steve Rogers is making a call. And then he disappears. <laughs> but... Spider-Man manages to throw a spider tracker on him. Then he's grabbed by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, and then that that brings Nick Fury into it, and he tells Spider-Man, like, oh, we have to save Captain America because this guy, the Sultan, is uh, going to uh, use him somehow to destroy the world. And I don't know why he needed to kidnap captain america to do that <laughs> yeah i don't i wasn't clear on that either it's like this guy's got a bunch of nukes he just send them off but right <laughs> why did you need captain america to be there except that he wanted to just gloat to somebody and it seemed like the symbol of america was the person he wanted to see to to gloat to since he's the thing he's destroying is washington dc like that's the his first target he is obviously mad at the government so nick fury and spider-man are racing to to rescue him and they they get captured by the 
robots that are not robots. <laughs> and the the bad guy, Sultan, he launches his his uh, nuclear missile to hit Washington, D.C. Nick Fury manages to grapple himself onto it. Meanwhile, Spider-Man and Captain America manage to fight their way out of the, the base, and they jump out of the base, only to discover that it's a mountain that is flying. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And then part two is mostly just, you know, a lot of action. But, you know, it's fun action. <laughs> Has my favorite scene in this book, which is Cap's freefall f- fight. He fights three robots <laughs> with jetpacks as he's falling down through the sky. He does these aerial acrobatics or whatever and takes them all right. out and steals a jetpack so that he can fly to safety. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, and then he finds the, the main thing in this the end here is that Nick Fury boards the rocket and finds out that the rocket is actually just a decoy that the real nuke is the island itself right well Cap hits the the Sultan and a little chip thing flies out of him out of the the Sultan and when they land on the ground they find more of the uh the robots there were Biotrons or whatever they were called. Um, so the the little chip that flew out of the Sultan goes into another body, and uh, he starts gloating at at them. And there's an explosion on the horizon. But anyways, Cap and Spider Man destroy all the robots, uh, and then the chip flies out again. And it's going to go to another body. Nick Fury shoots it out of the air and explains that, oh, uh, DC wasn't nuked. It was just S.H.I.E.L.D. blowing up the island. So this is the third time in this one volume, in this one epic collection, where a human in a robot body is destroyed. The first time we have the machine (laughs) smith who is trapped inside his machine and he wants to die, and Captain America ends up destroying him and feels bad about it. And the second one is the Ameridroid, who right. doesn't want to be in that body anymore either, and ends up sacrificing himself for the greater good. So that one, I guess, is an okay death. And then this one, Sultan, who is, his mind is in a robot body as well, and Nick Fury just blows him out of the sky, and everyone's okay with it which is a contradiction to the machine smith uh storyline so it's kind of a yeah and it's just that there's little inconsistencies like that because we have so many writers in this book but um, well yeah because each of those stories were written by by different people by different people yeah so <laughs> and you know there are, it's within a one and a half or two year span so when you're re- reading them month to month you may not notice but when you plow through a book like we did here it's like all they all it stands out overall this two-part story was pretty good um i think like the diamantea story it works both parts work better together rather than separately right than, like individual right. issues um but uh it's a it's a fun story it's a nice way to end this collection here i i did feel that uh, uh the writer of the story uh craft his his voice for captain america sounded differently to me at least than than what had come before it, it seemed more uh i don't know <laughs> more brutal like, i guess or more antag- antagonistic i guess maybe yeah he's yeah. a little bit more I mean, hardcore right 
Yeah, I agree with that. It is different. I didn't notice that until you just said it, but you're right. And then after that, we get a bunch of bonus pages. We have um, an article with uh, uh, talking to Roger Stern about his time on Captain America, uh, a mm -hmm. nice interview that gives some good insight, so that's interesting to read, and um, a six-page um, burn story that was going to be the 10th issue but never got made because they left the book. So they, this is the first time that we've seen these pages. It's a very special for this volume, so that's good. Um, yeah. As well as yeah. an introduction by Roger Stern about how he came to be on Captain America. So that's an interesting read as well. Um, that was taken from an old Captain America trade paperback. Right, as well which we as, get the, the cover of. Yep, we also. Are, that's true. The John Byrne cover for that. Um, and I don't know, they should have just called this volume War and Remembrance rather than Dawn's Early, Dawn's Light. Early Light. I think yeah. that would have been fine. If they're calling the Hulk volume Future Imperfect when that's only th three or four issues or two issues, they they could easily call what is what the Stern and Byrne section is known as is War and Remembrance. So, but, right. you know, that's that's a minor thing. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. And right. we have uh, yeah. some pages of art from the various different people, especially um, John Byrne, lots of John Byrne art. Yeah. And that rounds out the volume. So um, the the biggest thing that I noticed here, um, I'm not a huge Captain America reader, so I don't know if this is consistent all the time, but nearly every writer who has associated this book made sure to put in a little bit about... Um, how being America, American is all about freedom and different freedoms, freedom, and I guess kind of Roosevelt's four freedoms, um, mm -hmm. and and they're all dealt with here. It's like you know, is the freedom uh, on how you live or or what you do, and freedom of how you can even choose how you die, and the the, the freedom of the the justice system, and freedom to uh, um, when the son decides to strike on his own. Um, he has the freedom to choose his own path and his own life. You know, it's just, it's a theme that's dealt with over and over again. And it, they, by the end of this book, is like, okay, Captain America, is that all you talk about? Because <laughs> he just, yeah. every issue has to end with a, um, um, some sort of speech about freedom. Right. <laughs> and I think that's, it's yeah. mainly because of the, the fact that it's different writers and all these different fill-in issues. But, well, uh, I, I really liked, in the interview you did with uh, J.M. DeMattis, um, where he, he mentioned how Captain America is the uh, personification of the American dream, but I think that's that's a, a wonderful, you know, idea. You know, like one question I would have uh, for you is how how do you react to that being Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because um, it, it is interesting, and especially watching America right now from the sidelines of what's going yeah. on. It's like, well, you guys down there are absolutely figuring out right now what that freedom really means. And, and, and like that one issue where everybody's freedom is different, in Canada, it's just so it's such a different environment. We don't have the same, like we, we value freedom, of course, but it's so, it's so different. We welcome people from 
all of these different parts of the world to come and enjoy the freedom that Canada gives rather than protecting I feel like America is very set on protecting the freedom that it has within its walls at least now especially with Trump but um, yeah, that's kind absolutely. of the impression I get even even before that and um, you know and, and things like there's there's such this cry about freedom to bear arms and you know all the gun control issues which Canada it's like it's not it's a non-issue up here we don't we don't talk about that yeah. um so it yeah it is uh it is interesting to read a book like Captain America and like Canada shares the same ideals but we're not so heavy-handed with it i guess in that i don't i don't know i don't know if i'm explaining that the right way no no that 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 makes sense i mean i i've been recently with recent events I, i've been reading a lot of captain america <laughs> and I, i've felt very drawn to the character now and in a way i, I feel like he's kind of becoming my my favorite character uh, which I wouldn't have expected, you know, years ago. Yeah, I thought he was kind of a, a stuffy old, <laughs> you know, yeah. relic. But but his time has come right now to be the American ideal. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so I um, I, I kind of wish America was more like Canada because <laughs> I, I I've been there. It's a lovely country, <laughs> and it it just seems like I, I don't think uh it seems like there's uh i don't want to say patriotic but like uh the nationalism the, the nationalism exactly that that we get down here there definitely isn't we don't yeah. not every door has a, an american flag hanging from it and that kind of thing and it's uh my my wife is american so i go down to uh iowa every year for the holidays okay. and uh um it is it's quite a stark difference going down there um, especially kind of the Midwest small town, it's a right. it, it's quite different than small town Canada. Um, yeah. and I know comic books and just media in general can be more on the liberal side. And mm -hmm. but so Captain America is this funny character who it's he's Democrat and Republican mixed into one. Yeah. Um, and so. The the things that he says and does, he doesn't really take a side, a Democratic or Republican side in that sense, and but but I think there definitely is a lean towards um, the Democratic side just because media like this is more liberal in general, and I wonder and I somebody can maybe see if this is true. I wonder if the times that Cap gives up his Captain America persona like when he became nomad or when mark gruenwald made him the expatriate or when he was shot and killed recently um i wonder if those yeah. are all in uh in republican eras of government they they were i i can tell you that right now they oh were, really yeah they, yeah because uh the the time when he became nomad uh was uh shortly after watergate okay you know where uh the nixon who's the republican president i mean i don't know if you know anything about recent american history but he got into a lot of trouble by doing crazy legal things and 
you know, was going to be impeached and he ended up resigning. Yeah. But, and so yeah, Nomad was right after that. <laughs> I, I think the, the time where he was the captain was when Reagan was in office. Right. Oh yeah. I the captain. So, yeah. And then I think the expatriate was probably the Bush administration. Yep. And then yep. when he died, was that George W. Bush? Or was, uh, that, a, yeah. was that Obama yeah. already? Or was that before no, that Obama? Was, that was before Obama, yeah. So. And then now, when Trump is around, like they're experimenting, experimenting with Cap in different ways here as well. I don't know. That, that, is, that is interesting. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before, really. Right. But Well, I think I need to tie this up here. Okay. It was great chatting no, with you. It's uh, really great to go through this volume with you, Jared. It, um, you can probably hear my daughter in the background, so I think I need to sign off here. But uh, yeah, we'll be back with another another volume in the near future. It will be. We haven't quite decided. I think it'll be an X volume of some sort. Whether it'll be X Men or X Factor, we're not too sure. But we'll let you know soon enough. Yeah, yeah, and well, have a have a good. Evening, so.